0: And welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, Yeah, how's it going? Uh, not great. Why are you Why are you not feeling great? Don't you know that we've been nominated for a podcast award? I, I think I did hear that. Um, and people can still vote. Can they? Yes. Until when? Until the 27th of October.
1: Okay, so that's Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, so go ahead and do that.
0: Yeah. And while uh, you're there, perhaps throw a vote uh, more than one lesson's way. That'd I'll be great. Definitely,
1: definitely do that. Yes. They've, frankly, you probably have a better chance of winning.
0: <laughs> I do if people from BP also vote for me there. Yeah. Because I don't think any Christian podcast can match movie podcast numbers. Yeah. So I got to try and bring you guys over to help me. There's no way we're beating Film Spotting or Doug, Lo- Doug Loves Movies, but you can try to help me along the way.
1: Um, but now, now okay. Uh, you can vote every day. Uh, I want my, my own announcement. Listen, right now... I'm DVRing the World Series game. I know that you guys won't hear this for a few days, but I don't know what happens in game two yet. I'm DVRing it. But that's part of. I've been watching, like. Uh, you know, I mean. My girlfriend will occasionally watch some sports with me, but for the most part, she doesn't really care. And so I've been. You know. The hockey season started and I've been watching blues games where I can but it it's been kind of depressing uh but of course the Cardinals are in the World Series and Go Cards. Yes, exactly. Go Cards is damn right. Um and like I I've been because think I've been staying up to watch games on my DVR. Mm. That's what I did. That's what I'll do tonight. I'll go home and I'll watch game 2. I'll fast forward when it looks boring. Okay. But
0: um I didn't know the World Series was going on right now. I did. I you know, but I, I was. Uh, I can tell you all about the most recent Republican debate.
1: <laughs> um, I've definitely been uh, just uh, not that many years ago. I was I was you. I didn't care about sports at all, and uh, I don't know. It, it seems to just happen to some guys. Like like at a certain age, it's like some guys at a certain age suddenly want to procreate. I at a certain age just wanted to care about sports.
0: Oh, I, I've wanted to care about sports for a long time, <laughs> and as I've mentioned, I can go and wa- I can go to a baseball game, watch it, enjoy myself immensely. Um, if the Angels were in the World Series, I'd be excited, mm-hmm. not so excited that I would watch the game on television. What about the Rockies? I don't care. Oh, Okay, that's not that's that's the team that we re- uh, you know started rooting for when we moved to Denver. When we moved away from Denver. To Southwest Missouri, uh, where there was no team,
1: do people in southwest Missouri lean more
0: towards the Royals or the Cardinals you know uh, if i I would probably have an answer for you if I talked to anybody there about sports ever which i don't
1: means, like, They're really, in, in the halls in high school you didn't what, what hats did you see more
0: I saw uh, Ni of the Eagles that's oh, okay. what I saw huh, yeah um, but uh, but I don't know if I had to guess I'd probably say Cardinals, but I really don't know So, but yeah, so we're about
1: equidistant, Kansas City and St. Louis. I know. It's about three hours, both. Yeah. St. Louis is a winninger team, so uh, it makes
0: more sense for people to like them. Um, And Kansas City, you know, there's a Kansas City, Kansas. We don't like to share stuff with other states.
1: So, uh, in any case, I've been staying up late, getting up early, because I'm a working man. And it seems to have caught up with me, because I am sick as of. As of today, I have gotten sick. So this is a profile episode, as we'll get in, get to shortly, but we're gonna, probably going to keep this one a little bit shorter than our other profile episodes, yes, because you are also quite I'm exhausted.
0: In preparation for the profile episode, for the last week, I've been working and watching movies, and...
1: Because I managed to pick someone to profile that you were not very familiar with. Not really at all. And, uh, now, when and are you so- going to hmm? revisit this? You've done it to me before with, um, with Buster Keaton. With Buster Keaton, yeah. At the time, and I very much appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking, there might be coming up in the next few profiles another another silent film star right. that I would have to spend some time some time with mm-hmm. this is part of the fun of us doing this.
0: I think is like forcing each other to watch stuff. That's one word for it. As it turns out, we both <laughs> have jobs, and uh, yeah, and-, and I myself, frankly, like okay. So you saw in the profile, uh, you saw in the title, we're going to be profiling Catherine Deneuve, and I wasn't really that familiar with her at all, um, and I didn't really. I've talked before about how I don't really have a lot of time to see movies. And so unless I'm seeing them like with my wife, in which case it's two birds with one stone, I'm seeing a movie and spending quality time with my wife. And in the last couple of weeks, I have actually uh, kind of cut back my workload and, and I'm going to keep that going for a while. And so I suddenly find myself with an extra 10 hours a week. And so finally I'm like, oh, well, this worked out well because now I can finally start watching some Catherine Deneuve films. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I tore through them as as much as i could and uh but man but i still had other work to do and uh so now yes i'm i'm actually pretty sleepy so you're sick i'm tired let's get to it let's get this thing over with
1: and there are a few that were that we both missed i can say right now neither one of us got to the last metro Mm -hmm. which is it really upset me because i I literally i have the blu-ray at home i got it in time i just oh, didn't my. get time to watch it before the recording um that might be the biggest one but i'm sure kathleen the new fans are probably gonna be bothered by some other ones that we are yeah. leaving off which is what happens every time we do a profile you know
0: and i will say i will put this out there that like when you profile a director unless it's like woody allen or something when you profile a director it's it's not necessarily easy but it's easier to see their entire catalog mm-hmm. When it comes to actors, it's rough. My, yeah. even, like, as, as we all know, Robert Duvall is my favorite actor. I haven't seen, I've probably seen maybe 40% of his films. Yeah. It's just, actors work a lot. Have you and, seen THX 1138?
1: No. See, I didn't think you had. Yeah. It. Um, it's worth seeing. Have you seen
0: Secondhand Lions? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, already something's wrong. (laughs) I'm trying to think. You know what? Here's what it is. Secondhand Lines, Cole wanted to watch it, and our old roommate. Yeah, yeah. and And composer
1: of the BP theme.
0: That's right. Chilling, (laughs) as you used to refer to it. Um,
1: So yeah, let's. uh, We're only seven minutes in, but I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners wouldn't mind after our last two weeks of doing, uh, you know, around two hours. If we just got into it, so let's get into it
0: shall we okay
1: as we talked as we said it's katherine Deneuve.
0: first things first this was david's choice um david why uh why did you choose katherine katherine uh,
1: um you know it's uh, I, I have like a uh sort of bank in my head of um people i want to do for profiles so I've been wanting I've been wanting to do Catherine Dew for actually quite a while mm-hmm. since I saw um, A Talking Picture,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is not... I didn't see it in 2001 when it came out. I saw it maybe three years ago, uh, two or three years it's ago. It's a 2004 film. I thought it was a 2001 film.
0: Oh, either way. It's listed on Netflix, which incidentally did not get the aspect ratio right, and thus I was unable to see it because the subtitles were below the screen. Um, but according to Netflix, it's 2004.
1: Oh, that's that's heinous
0: yes it is
1: that's unacceptable yeah um okay either way I, I saw it two or three years ago um and uh long-time listeners will remember that i put a uh, put a talking picture by manuel de Oliveira on my top 10 films of the decade mm-hmm. list um and uh she and she's in it and it, it just got me thinking about her career and then uh, also maybe about a year ago i want to say lacma or one of the Someone it, it did a series on Catherine Deneuve, which I hmm. didn't go to any, but um, there was a big, like, article on her in L.A. Weekly uh, last year, or maybe earlier this year, and so that got me thinking about it again, and so we've I decided to finally do it. That's... Okay. Because, and, and the talking picture is actually an interesting... We'll probably refer, or I will probably refer back to it, since you didn't get a chance to right. see it. Um, because there are... Um, there's an interesting thing with Catherine, Catherine Deneuve in that... All right, let me go back again. I keep doubling back. It's like okay. a flashback within a flashback here. Um, Inception. <laughs> a common, like, uh, a thing that comes up occasionally on my other podcast, previously on, we talk about uh, how rare it is for a model-turned-actor to be good. And mostly it comes up whenever we talk about Battlestar Galactica, because Tricia Helfer is amazing, mm-hmm. but is the exception to the rule, uh, I think. Um I mean, did did you see Fair Game
0: with Cindy Crawford? Uh, No, I did see Fair Game with Naomi Watts. Oh, right. And uh, former model Sean Penn. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Wouldn't it be neat if it
1: was? (laughs) Um, But uh, early in Catherine Deneuve's career, you get the impression, and it's done well, but she was hired in movies because of her looks in her not just that she's pretty but also she has the camera likes her she has a general appeal and she's and she's um i mean it sounds like i'm being mean because she's fantastic in these early movies but um she doesn't get to stretch and become a real actress with uh who whose role is other than to be um a sort of beautiful mm. way for or something or someone that uh things happen to is uh, I think right. you, you see that a lot in her, in her early, earlier films um uh that that there's a turning i i can't I, maybe in doing this we'll discover where that turning point exactly is mm-hmm. but um i think it's probably likely there's more gradual uh but but that is the, the this sort of, inter- if there's going to be an arc to this episode, maybe mm-hmm. that's what uh, uh, how we'll how we'll frame it. Um, but let's, like I said, those early early films, even when she was just hired, you know, not for her ability to emote, mm-hmm. um, she's still fantastic, and there's still fantastic films. And the first one I talk about is a 1964 film. That is, that she still says to this day is her favorite film that she's made, mm-hmm. and it's the first of her collaborations with Jacques Demy, uh, although not my favorite, it's my second favorite of her collaborations with Jacques okay. Demy. It's The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Mm-hmm. Did you get to watch this one?
0: No, I saw, I watched uh, a different one.
1: A different Jacques Demy one? Yeah. I bet I know which one. Um, but uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is, um, uh, and the other one that we'll talk about, are just some of like some of the greatest examples of what uh when people talk about movie magic i mm-hmm. guess sometimes they're talking about special effects but i think just the idea of being like swept up and transported into another world you mm-hmm. know and musicals when they're good are good at this singing in the rain is very good at this uh you know it um it sort of lifts you up onto this onto like a cloud and like you Spend the entire two hours there, and Umbrellas of, Umbrellas of Cherbourg is notable in that it is a musical, but it's actually, I guess, an opera because it's sung through. Mm-hmm. There are there's no spoken dialogue in all of Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Every mm-hmm. every word hmm. is uh, is sung, um, and it's it, it it's it's pure beauty to watch. Um, and to listen to, you know, and a lot of that is because of Catherine Deneuve's very winning presence. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about it is that it's also a very sad film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, I don't want to spoil it for people, but it it doesn't actually have a very happy ending. <laughs> um, but it has that sort of, like, romantic, like... Um, maybe up there w- in, in the realm of like Titanic or like Casablanca, like, I, I guess I am kind of spoiling it. The couple doesn't get together in the end. Oh. They lose each other. Um, but it's that kind of like anguished, you know, uh, theatrical heartbreak that when done poorly as it most often is, mm-hmm. um, is dumb and seems like something that a teenager it, it would <laughs> would come up with, you know? Yeah. But when done correctly and and beautifully, as it is in Casablanca and Titanic mm-hmm. and here in Umbrellas of Cherbourg, it's uh, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking in in a beautiful way. It, things don't you know. We'll talk about another musical later mm-hmm. from the year two thousand that is heartbreaking in a way that, and I think a very well made film, mm-hmm. uh, although not one I'm not eager to watch again. Um, <laughs> that is it is also heartbreaking, but not you wouldn't call it beautiful no i, don't, I think. don't think so uh but that's a little tease for later um so that's the umbrellas of Cherbourg, and people should watch it uh <laughs> now um i i mentioned earlier that she's um someone that uh has things happen to her you know um the next year or, or her or, or, i'm sorry i'm not speaking very well because i'm sick but uh she, early on, played characters that were, that just had things happen to them. Um,
0: yeah, that's something in just the few, and like I said, everybody, I've not seen very many of her films, unfortunately, and I apologize for that. Um, there is, as I was telling David, a 28-year gap in between the movies that I've seen <laughs> of hers. Uh, so let's hope if there is a, a, a sudden change, let's hope it's not in that 28 years. But uh, It probably is. It probably is. But, um but in the in the earlier films that i that i saw i noticed that she doesn't necessarily play characters of strength not to imply the characters are weak but and i'm speaking in a broad sense and i'll get more specific as we bring up specific examples but characters that just don't have a lot of i'm not trying to do something witty here characters that don't have a lot of character to them mm-hmm. they're kind of immature and they they can be very lovely and fun-loving and that sort of thing, but when it comes right down to it, like you said, they're not really in control of their lives. They kind of go with the flow, and it's not even so much that they're okay with it, it's that they they never even thought of it any other way. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, at best, that even that shows a certain degree of awareness. It's more just, wow, life sure is great sometimes. Um But that's in in that attitude. The Happy Go Lucky is a bit is more in one of the films, and then another. You'll see kind of the negative flip side of that kind of immaturity. Mm -hmm. But but yes, I would say just in the films that I've seen, she's not somebody who's really in control of her own fate, and doesn't seem to really mind that much. Mm -hmm. So, well, um,
1: there are multiple ways to read. Or interpret the next film I'm going to talk about, which is uh, uh, 1965, Roman Polanski's Repulsion. Um, One of a number of Catherine Danube films that is in the Criterion Collection, by the way. Um, There's a... And you haven't seen it, right? I haven't. But you've seen uh, Rosemary's Baby. I have. Right? Which is also Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. And... In in both cases, they feature. Um, obviously, it's uh, um, Mia Farrow mm-hmm. in in Rosemary's Baby and Catherine Deneuve in Repulsion, but they both feature uh, women as their protagonists, but women who don't have a lot of agency. Hmm. Would you Would you agree? Like uh, Mia Farrow doesn't seem to have a lot. There's not a lot she can do within the world as it's set up for her. Yeah,
0: and in uh, it's interesting because. I don't want to turn this into a discussion of Polanski. That's a separate episode. Yeah. But but like in Rosemary's Baby, you actually get uh, sort of a rare thing for uh, the main character in that she has an ally of sorts in her husband, Uh and then you come to find out he's not an ally either. Mm -hmm. But but yes, it's that sort of thing where very alone, surrounded on all sides by uh, people who at best aren't on her side (laughs) at worst mean to do harm to her. Um, you'll, that's a, that's kind of a common Polanski thing. But frankly, if, if the main character is a woman, specifically one that is as kind of frail as Mia Farrow Uh or as just expressive and vulnerable as a Catherine Deneuve, that really adds another dimension to it.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm
0: saying that without having seen the film. By the way,
1: uh, Repulsion is it's a um, it's another like we were talking about um, a wonderful film, wonderful film that is not necessarily pleasant to watch because the main story is that Catherine Deneuve um, plays a woman who lives with her her sister um, in a in a flat. Her sister goes out of town. I I think it's for a weekend. I haven't seen it in almost ten years, but um, I, I think a weekend or so. Uh, maybe a week, uh, and Catherine Deneuve left alone in the apartment, essentially goes crazy over the course of the movie.
0: It's a very similar, it's very similar theme to another Polanski film I have seen, which is The Tenant.
1: Which I have not seen. Okay. Um, and uh, you, you wonder, I I guess (laughs) it's funny, I'm going to say something that goes against something I just said on a message or on, in the comment section or on our blog, Uh-oh. plug in the blog again. But I, I was talking about how about separating the art from the artist, but I, the fact that Roman Polanski was willing to drug and rape a, an underage girl, mm-hmm. um, makes me lean one way or another, perhaps on, on repulsion. And uh, other than it being uncomfortable to watch in general, mm-hmm feeling that I understand Roman Polanski's misogyny, maybe? That might not not, not, not even be the right word. Um, uh, But I'm trying to think what the right word would be. Let's just go with misogyny for now. Um, Makes it also unpleasant to watch. Because there's a way you could read Repulsion as, like, um, this is how difficult it is for... Uh, for women, like a young woman alone in the mm-hmm. city like um and like uh how how difficult this sounds uh, like a funny thing to say, but how difficult it is to be beautiful mm-hmm. um when you're a young woman alone because you are sort of preyed upon and it could and given as few options as. As there are in the world, it's you can hardly blame them for going insane, mm-hmm. uh, or blame not them like, yeah. like women go insane all the time. Uh, Just to have eyes blame on blame you at Captain all Tannu. times, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you could read it that way, but um, I, I, <laughs> there's a part of me that, or maybe the most of me that sees it as Roman Polanski not having a very positive view of women when he does movies like this and Rosemary's Baby
0: you know uh that's one way of looking yeah. at it one could and I, I don't want to turn this into a psychoanalysis of uh, roma Polanski god help us um but uh one could also say not the best view of humanity in general <laughs> it's not it's not like that's the true. guys are uh you know sparkling clean in these in these films either but uh but yeah it's you know it's interesting i want to i want to speak in general again uh because one thing that i've Noticed in the older films and in the newer films about Catherine Deneuve. And by the way, just in general, uh, I'm I'm very happy that we that we decided to profile her because I was not really that exposed to her as an actress. I had seen her in Dancer in the Dark, mm-hmm. but that was 11 years ago, and I hadn't really, uh, you know, I wasn't. I don't think I even really knew who she was at the time. I think I liked her performance. If you ask me to tell say anything about it now. Well, I will I, soon <laughs> right but like I but i I don't remember much about it unfortunately yeah. yeah um and that's that's on me but but it's it's sort of neat to get back I don't know to to find out really who this was because of course in the last several years I'd heard her name thrown around as like this really great actress and unfortunately I just I was you know curious interested but not enough to actually seek out any of her films mm-hmm. and something like this it's like what we were talking about with film school Doing these profiles forces you to watch something that you might not otherwise have watched, or at the very least, might not have watched for several years. And so, as an actress, I, I think—well, as opposed to what? Okay, I think she's a very great actress. Is what I was <laughs> what I was trying to say. Uh, primarily, and it, and it is interesting because I think her modeling. Is an, was an asset to her as an actress, not merely because you know it makes her easy to look at, which probably got her roles. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about I, I I know some people who are actors and and used to be models, and they talked about some of what that was, and it meant really being willing to be vulnerable, sometimes projecting an image, but sometimes just being yourself completely and being at ease because if you're if you're tense while you're wearing a you know clothes you know a certain kind of clothing or something people are going to be able to tell Uh you need to be at ease and be like look how relaxed i am in these clothes Uh and i feel like that helped her she is an actress that in just in watching it i i found all the movies that i've seen are they're all directed by different people and yet A common theme that I noticed is just lingering on her face. The camera Mm -hmm. would just linger on her face, not when she's talking, just when someone else is talking or just as she's thinking. And she's one of the most vulnerable uh, vulnerable actors or actresses that I've ever seen and just putting everything out there without overplaying it, incidentally. She has very expressive eyes but doesn't put it out there like, look how expressive my eyes are. And as such, I feel like, it's it's an interesting casting choice and probably a good one. Again, I haven't seen Repulsion, but putting someone like that in the midst of a any Roman Polanski story is is a brilliant bit of casting.
1: Uh, what's also fascinating is that uh, as a model, and she continued to model, by the way, mm-hmm. um, during a lot of her acting career. Um, and in, in it helps for someone. Okay, it's almost ironic to say it, but. As a model, she's less vain as an actress because she's more willing to being used mm-hmm. as a tool and as a prop. And that yeah. in a film like Repulsion, however you feel about what its message is, that's an asset to Roman Polanski. That she was she's willing to just be whatever he needs her to be. Yeah. Um, but you talked about how... You, you, There's a segue here. Uh what do I announce? Like, segue.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can just keep going. We're, we're, um, are, oh, are we continuing to talk about Catherine yeah, Deneuve? Yeah.
1: Um, you said that you all the ones you watched by different directors, that's surprising because, like a lot of my favorite actors, she has relationships with directors. She did mm-hmm. a number of Jacques Demy films. She did a number of Louise Bunuel films. She did a number of uh, films with uh, Andre mm-hmm. um a couple of films with Francois Lazon, um and we're going. to... And she
0: acted. This is not a director, but she acted. I think eight times with Gerard Depardieu. Um, right. Yeah. I yeah. saw two of those, but uh, but yeah. Um, so.
1: But uh, yeah, I, I mentioned something like one of my favorite actors of all time is Jimmy Stewart, mm-hmm. and he also did this with Alfred Hitchcock, with John Ford, with um, uh, Frank, Frank Capra. Capra is the other one I was trying to think of. Uh, yeah, uh, I think maybe that's the mark of a good uh, a good actor that good directors want to use them over and over again.
0: I think so. I This is actually, I don't know if we, you and I have ever discussed it, but I know that uh, my wife and I certainly have, which is after a while, if you're not careful, it can turn into an almost enabling relationship. For example, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Yeah, Or
1: possibly Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Possibly, yes. With, with both of those, there's been some good results and some mm-hmm. less good results.
0: But I think, I, I'd say less good is one thing. And, uh, but like at this point, Tim Burton and, and Johnny Depp, it used to be like this pairing that couldn't lose. But now uh-huh. I think they're so ca- comfortable with each other. This is a tangent. Everybody a Sorry. they can't win. Well, they can win at the box office certainly, but it's almost <laughs> just like, we're so comfortable with each other at this point. You know what? I don't even need to direct you. No, you probably should. Mm-hmm. I saw Charlie in the chocolate factory and Alice in Wonderland. You you need to scale him back a little bit. Um, <laughs> But uh but, Do you yeah. think
1: um, Speaking of the Scorsese DiCaprio thing, still on a tangent here. Okay. The Aviator. A mm-hmm. film I liked. Mm-hmm. And a film that I think DiCaprio is good in. I think he yeah, quite he's very good, good at, actually. Yeah. But I still wonder if he's the best choice for that role. Um uh, I, I, I think he manages to be good despite himself.
0: I think he's good for a number of reasons, and I think it's a good casting choice because of what Leonardo DiCaprio exudes in our in our culture. I see what you're saying, yeah. Which is, you know, he is a star, but there's something underneath, too. There's an intensity to him, much like Howard Hughes himself. He was a guy that everyone was like, you know... He was he was a sort of a glamorous figure, but at the same time, we we all knew there was something underneath. Mm-hmm. We all knew, yeah, I was there, but you know, the <laughs> culture knew that there was something underneath, and so I, casting to me is not merely who's right for the role, but also what they bring to the role as far as cultural baggage. And so, for that reason, I think he was very right for the role. Well argued. So,
1: okay, Cause, I mean, because the rest of the casting that movie is spot on. Right? Jude Law, Kate uh, C- Blanchett, uh, Ellen Alda.
0: I'd say so. I do think Alec Baldwin's a little underused, but that's uh. that's okay. All right. Okay, back to business. Let's,
1: and and back to this, The ties back in, right. this relationship with directors. We're going to talk about her second, and in my opinion, best film with Jacques Demy, mm-hmm. uh, The Young Girls of Rochefort. Which is the one seen.
0: that I, yeah, which I saw.
1: And, and not only is it my favorite Jacques Demy film and my favorite Catherine Deneuve film, it's, mm-hmm. if we did our top ten of all time again it might make it into my top ten. That's
0: interesting, because Blogger Scott said it's one of his uh, favorite movies of all time. I don't remember if he said one of his ten, but he said it was one of his favorites. And that was before I saw it. Uh And, by the way, in this episode, I I know that we're we're already doing it, and I want to make sure that we don't turn this into a discussion of these films. But I do want to take a moment to talk about the film, and then her performance in it because yeah, i think, I think, I think it guess. helps with context provided yeah. we don't turn it into you know a discussion of oh all these wonderful choices by the directors <laughs> and uh one of them is i guess yeah casting this person that we're ostensibly profiling <laughs> but um so listeners know that the musical is not uh, not my favorite genre Name
1: musicals you like
0: huh movie i musicals, like things. oh movie musicals okay so even smaller um I like uh, West Side Story. Uh-huh. I think Cabaret's, pre- Cabaret's pretty good. Cabaret's probably my favorite movie musical, actually. I like parts of Chicago, but I also feel well, like... I guess Young like
1: Girls of Russia for is not my favorite. Yeah, like, I guess it's by, that, that. by that yeah. logic. Anyway, um,
0: uh, Chicago... I didn't like Chicago. There there are things... There's the spectacle of Chicago. I just feel like by having part of it be fantasy, I feel like it's trying to have its cake and yes. eat it, too.
1: It's a musical for people who don't like musicals. Yeah. Which is that... Whatever play on that idiom I can come up with is my favorite thing in the world. Like, like uh, Game of Thrones is TV for people who don't like TV.
0: <laughs> uh, it's a show about Thrones for people who don't like Thrones. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I did like Game of Thrones, but I don't love it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the Young Girls of Rochefort is a musical for people who don't like musicals. But I don't really like musicals, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I re- It's just such a... I started watching it at like 3 a.m., probably not smart for me because in, in many ways, watching a foreign film is difficult for me, mm-hmm. not the least of which is because I'm not a fast reader. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's the first 20 minutes of any foreign film is difficult for me. And then once you, know, you kind of develop a, you know, uh, kind of becomes instinct. But, you know, a musical, it's going by pretty fast because they're singing it all.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And so I was just like, okay, French musical here we go, all right, 3 a.m., why wouldn't I do it now? And man, oh man, I just, I couldn't stop, I had to stop watching because I had to go to bed. But like, I I was amazed how much it flowed, how much I was invested, and just how much, the stuff that I usually don't like about musicals, which is the clunky getting into the song, because this one does have spoken lines, Uh which means when someone is speaking, invariably it's, okay, so... So, David, I understand that you want to sing a song. I do. Well... And then goes into <laughs> it. That's usually what it is, and it yeah. bothers me tremendously. And uh, But uh, Young Girls of Rochefort, somehow it didn't bother me, and I think it's because everything about that world, from the colors to the costumes, is heightened to the point yeah. where it'd be weird if people weren't singing.
1: Yeah. The film knows, and the characters know that it's right. a musical. Absolutely. And that it's a musical movie.
0: Yeah. And remember, I think... Uh, and the plot couldn't be more musical, where it's just, yeah. man, if this place, had, if this town had one town meeting, yeah. all the problems would be solved. <laughs> Everyone would find their, their soulmate. Right. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, uh, I've got to reference someone. I want to say it was it's Jonathan Rosenbaum. Someone, in writing about Young Girls of Rochefort, pointed out a thing that I think is fascinating, that there are in the camera work in the choreography throughout the movie there are occasionally imperfections yeah you'll you'll notice like I have noticed Yeah, oh, that's a little bumpy that move that camera move there or whatever and and John, I, th- I want to say what Jonathan Rose moment was saying that the film was better for those imperfections because mm-hmm. it actually adds to its charm adds mm-hmm. to the like oh I'm watching a movie
0: I was it's odd that, that you brought that up because in some of the choreography the choreography is all good but sometimes there's one dancer who's just Half a tick behind everybody else.
1: Yeah, just for even just for one moment. Okay, I'll name a specific thing. Okay, it happens in the movie. Um, uh, Gene Kelly's big dance number mm-hmm. in the street. Yeah, they shot on the actual streets of I don't know if it was Rochefort, but uh, an actual small mm-hmm. town. And uh, there's the street because there's a building there, and there's not buildings on the other side. Like there's a big part of it that's in shade mm-hmm. and parts, and it's not like. A Hollywood big budget thing would have they would have brought in lights and mm. made sure the entire street was lit the same so you could see the dancers. there would be perfect yeah. depth and everything you know. And the fact that they like I didn't do that because we're shooting outside and this is where the shadows are. And so sometimes like the is it weird to the think, dancers go in and out of the shadow?
0: Is it weird to think that if something is too perfect, whether it be the way it's shot, choreography, lighting, you know, whatever? Or yeah, just—is it weird to think that if it's too perfect, it actually becomes distancing? Yeah. No,
1: I, I mean, no, it's not too weird. It's, it's not weird. I'm sick.
0: It's fine. Um, but it's—I uh, don't know—because I had, I did have that thought specifically with the choreography, which is like, oh, that's a little. But it didn't. It's like, oh, that's that guy. Just for one moment, he didn't even miss a step, but he's just a little bit behind, mm-hmm. just for that moment. And it didn't take me out. Of, I it took me out of it, I guess, because I noticed it. But I actually kind of liked it. made it very made it human to me.
1: But in, in the point uh, in the in a, in a larger sense, you're out of it the entire movie mm-hmm. in 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 one in in one way because like we're talking about, we you recognize it's a movie right. the entire time, uh, and so. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the Coen brothers do that uh, mm. regularly. Um, you can't watch Hudsucker Proxy and like forget you're watching a movie, right? Uh, but let's get back to Catherine Deneuve.
0: Well, again, so yeah, I'll I'll say first like casting her was great because you know, in a in a film where, you know, characters whether through costumes or uh, even in some cases through hair color, mm-hmm. everything is heightened, you need somebody with not necessarily exaggerated features, but you need somebody you know, Catherine Deneuve's character is Throughout the film, we don't know. We know that it's referring to her, but she isn't directly referred to this way. But she's basically the feminine ideal. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like somebody, a guy paints a picture of what he thinks fe- the feminine ideal is, and it's a picture of her. Yeah. but they've never met. Yeah, which is kind of a, a adorable little thing. My wife's <laughs> gonna love this movie anyway. But, um, but yeah, and so when you have a character that is, for all intents and pur- purposes, the feminine ideal, you want to go with someone that is not merely attractive and not merely beautiful. There has to be, for lack of a better term, joie de vivre uh-huh. inside her. There's yeah, got to be she, something just shiny about her and that's her and it, that's not merely how she looks. It's how she acts. It's how she carries herself. And we um, would be remiss not to talk about the fact
1: that her real-life sister plays her sister mm-hmm. in the movie and the sad fact that her real life sister who played her sister died the next year, uh, in a car accident at the age of 26, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but both of them have that. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a thing <laughs> in the movie that I find almost like there's almost a darkness to it uh, in, in the comedy of it. Like they keep like trusting these strange weird <laughs> men with their little brother. Yeah. <laughs> but they have the, the, their joie de vivre is you, uh, as you, as you name it, um, is so powerful that nothing bad is going to happen to them. Right? That they, they laugh at the idea that something bad was happening.
0: happen Because yeah. we're the stars of this musical. Right. <laughs> you kind of want to be like, you were invaded by Nazis not long ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. You really <laughs> should try to keep this in mind. But uh, uh, and and
1: that's again, we we're talking about the movie. we were talking in this case specifically about the the mm-hmm. two lead act. act or uh, it's an ensemble piece. I don't know if you very it, much it, but, so. But they're the titular young girls. Yeah. And uh, it's. And it's and in it, their performances.
0: And they have a good chemistry together. They, The two of them, you really can't think of one without the other. Um, even if we're speci- you know specifying Catherine Deneuve. Um, but the two of them are really great. They have a good chemistry with each other and everybody else. There's a playfulness to them. And it's kind of appropriate that it's the young girls of Rochefort. Because they seem young. They seem mm-hmm. innocent. And they just seem blasé and exciting. And just... I found myself throughout the entire film not merely when they were on screen but I just found myself smiling yeah, yeah it's me too. very it's it's an interesting film and she was both of them both the, the, the sisters uh, were exactly the right people for that role because they need like you said it's an ensemble but a lot of stuff revolves around them mm-hmm. and you need someone who isn't merely attractive and isn't merely a good singer but there's just something that just draws you to them mm-hmm and it's not merely, I, I want to uh, hug and kiss that girl. It's uh-huh. not that. It's almost, it's like, I want to protect them, but I also want to go on a roller coaster with them. Like, there's, <laughs> I don't know, it's hard to explain. There's a, an intangible quality that that yeah. is invigorating about the film.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, all the elements of it from the, the you know, the, the choreography and the songs, which are fantastic, uh, even though I couldn't sing any of them because they're mm-hmm. in French, but they are wonderful and fun songs. Uh, to the costumes uh, which are spot on in Mm -hmm. terms of like color choice and stuff. Um, None of it would work if it weren't for the performances across the board. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about Catherine Deneuve here. Right. Um, Speaking of clothes. Really? All right. uh, The next film uh, one I don't think you've seen is um, I mentioned Louise Bunuel. Uh, It's Belle de Jour from 1967.
0: Did not see it, unfortunately.
1: Um, and I mentioned I imagine speaking, speaking of clothes because uh, the...
0: Characters wear clothes?
1: Famous designer Yves Saint Laurent uh, designed the okay. costumes for Belle de Jour. Um, and this is... It, it, uh, even though... Um, Louis Manuel is maybe a more uh, cerebral director than the ones we've talked about i i guess Roman Plonsky could be seen as such but i don't know if that's entirely true um this is she's still being used here as a just a, a sort of symbol of beauty and almost mm-hmm. a cipher and maybe even more here than elsewhere because her character um in bel de jour uh i can't remember her real name but she goes by the name bel de jour uh when she uh becomes a prostitute uh severine is her real name, uh, the character's real name, um, is a very cold and unemotional person. That's mm-hmm. that's her thing, uh, and that's her her outward appearance. Um, but uh, we ag- again get her lack of vanity uh, as an actress, and that she allows some uh, pretty uh, fucked up shit to happen to her because um, the character of Savine is married to this man who is uh sort of he's the kind of they're very it's a very rich as it all almost all Boonwell films take place among the among the bourgeoisie he would even mm-hmm. reference them in a title uh, a bit later i find um, them charming yeah in a in a discreet way right uh um, i don't like to put it out there the, the, the husband is sort of i guess the husband you want you know he's successful and he mm-hmm cares about his wife and blah 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 but she has throughout the film these um sort of masochistic sex fantasies hmm. uh that you keep uh you keep going back to these um their are dream sequences i guess but they're not there's no like god you know it's not like hazy or whatever like they mm-hmm. look as real as anything else and like there's one where she's essentially just like tied up, and her husband and another man are flinging mud all over her body and her face. Uh, and it's um, fantastically weird in the Louise Bunuel way, and also fantastically frank in its weirdness, in the mm-hmm. great Louis Benwell way. Um, but also, back to this, this lack of vanity. Um, and she's... The, the, you can't get around the fact that Catherine Deneuve is a very sensual and sexual presence mm-hmm. uh, on screen, but she's in films like like bell du jour willing to explore the um uh, less i guess uh wholesome <laughs> version of uh, yeah. versions of sexuality uh it's a fantastic film where, where she plays this society society wife who is unhappy for different reasons in her marriage and so despite decides to spend her her days at that she would normally spend at home because she's a housewife Mm -hmm. but with you know uh that'll be a common theme by the way her being a
0: housewife who's not not pleased
1: right um uh she decides to spend those days by uh working as a prostitute during the day um and it uh it works for her in, in 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 a lot of ways and in some other ways it doesn't but um it's uh it's a it's a great film, but uh, once again, as I'm saying, we still haven't reached that point where she mm-hmm. has stepped forward as an intellectual actress, even though she's working with intellectual directors.
0: Well, and she might be an intellectual actress, but she's not being called upon to intellectualize her performances. Right. Good. So yeah, good distinction. Um. Okay. So what's uh, what's up next?
1: What's next? I take a drink of water. Okay. And. Okay, so, what's next uh okay, so what one I haven't seen, I believe
0: yes, it is called okay, well, the word is heartbeat, and I don't know if that's La shamad that sounds more Yiddish than anything else, uh, uh-huh. but that's probably just my mispronunciation and uh and that kind of that keeps with the with the theme of the type of character that Catherine Deneuve plays, she is a young, beautiful wife of a very well-off man. Now, the thing is, she isn't unhappy. She actually loves him a lot, and he loves her a lot, and at no point does he feel the need to possess her. So their marriage is actually one that is, you know, seemingly satisfying uh, emotionally, and she's able to do, it gives her the freedom to do whatever she wants because he provides the money. She doesn't have a job. Uh, but then she encounters a younger guy who he also has a job. He doesn't have as much money, but, uh, but he's younger and, you know, good looking guy. And the two of them like really hit it off and they fall in love. And so she falls, you know, she leaves her husband for him. But again, she still loves her husband. No question about it. And everybody, maybe her as well, everybody seems to acknowledge that she'll come back. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time. Uh, She'll get bored with her little fling, realize she doesn't have any money, and come back. Or, from a less cynical point of view, she'll get tired of that, realize that the more abiding love is between she and her husband, and then she'll come back to that uh and so she goes and moves in with the younger guy who's just in a you know one bedroom apartment uh he works as a you know as a publisher and so she starts working in a but she doesn't do anything uh she doesn't want a job she wants to just hang out and dream of him all day is what is the way she puts it and so she uh but he says like he's not Pressing her for money, you know, to get a job for money, he's just saying like, "Well, aren't aren't you bored? Why don't you just, you know, you could just get a job. It doesn't have to pay super well. It's fine." And so she gets like a filing job that she's not great at, she's not terrible at, and she's getting better. Um, but then she happens to run across a, uh, a Faulkner quote in which it talks about like the bet, the highest. I wish I had it in front of me. Uh, you know. Th- the best way to live and know you're alive is to focus on these things. And incidentally, none of them are working. Uh And, uh, I'm paraphrasing a great deal. He, he, uh, gives a a list of the thing, the the higher pursuits. And, uh, and so she reads that quits her job, Mm -hmm. but doesn't tell the young guy. And so like, she winds up selling some of the jewelry that her husband had bought her so that she can, you know, contribute monetarily. And, and so then she and the young guy, like start to get in a, starting to get in arguments and and she goes back to her husband not to stay with him but just kind of she needs someone to sort of care for her again and then so she just keeps basically going back and forth between the two and uh i won't say who she winds up with but the it's it's an interesting role because and one that i i might say is is almost a little transitional Mm-hmm. Because the character is is very annoying in mm-hmm. her, I don't know, in her fickleness. Because you kind of want to be like, okay, so let me get this straight. You love your husband. He loves you. He provides everything for you. But not in a Charles Foster Kane way. He also provides emotional availability. And you do genuinely care for him. And you understand it. That's not enough. Okay. So now you're going to give that up. Go to this younger guy who you do say that you are in love with, and he's clearly in love with you as well. That's satisfying as well. But, hey, you know, the practical parts of life cause some trouble. So let's go back to this guy knowing full well he'll give you everything you need. So the character doesn't look very good as far as her actions. But when you think about it, it's her choice to make. And that is kind of empowering, even if we don't like what she is doing to these men. And it's and no, and the film does not condemn her. And I think a big part of that is Catherine Deneuve's performance because she still brings this vivacious, exciting, childlike but not childish aspect to her character. There is moments of, of being childish, but like this this exciting thing where you can see where men are drawn to her there's a, a scene where she's at a jewelry store and uh, a, an American tourist who happens to be very wealthy offers to buy her something like she just draws men in and and toys with the idea of being with them doesn't toy with them but toys with the idea of maybe maybe this is fun too and so in many ways if this were a different film and a different actress I think we would uh, the filmmaker and the audience would condemn her but as it is, we are upset with her actions, but we always we want her to pick a side we like it's sort of like I remember you and I uh, we went to see the movie changing lanes um, and I, it seems weird that I would invoke that movie now but uh, <laughs> it's what I the thing that I liked about that movie is that we are not necessarily on either guy's side we are on the side of civility and that's sort of how I feel about her character it's not I don't want to condemn her. I'll condemn her actions and I'll condemn how flippant she is about the feelings of the people that she, the men that she loves, but I want good things for her. I just want her to actually make a decision and stick with it. And the frustration is feeling like she's never going to be completely happy, but the ball is still in her court. She's calling the shots with both men. It doesn't matter that this guy has money. It doesn't matter that this guy is young and attractive and all that. She's the one in charge. And but we never resent that. It's an interesting performance. It's an interesting character, but it's a really interesting performance and I think she was the right she was the right person for that role for all the reasons that we've been talking about. There's a vulnerability you want to protect her and you just can't help but be on her side. Mhm. It's a it's a it's an interesting movie all around, and that performances all three performances are are good, but her central that that is what that's the heart and soul of the film is her her performance in that character. Heartbeat, la chamade, all right? Sh- whatever it is. Uh,
1: <clears throat> uh, m- moving on to another Jacques Tati film, um, one that I know you haven't seen, and I'd but I'd love to get your point of view on it mm-hmm. uh it's called donkey skin i like um, the title already yeah and it is uh kind of as bizarre as that title would mm-hmm. suggest it's a fairy tale okay she plays a fairy princess type of or fairy tale princess she's not I don't think she's not a fairy but she is a princess um and there are magical things and it has to do with uh i haven't seen it in a number of years but there's uh she can't leave the castle until she has like the perfect dress or whatever and it's supposed to be like a a curse but the tailor finds a way to make this perfect dress so she can leave and he mm-hmm. makes it from donkey skin hmm. uh but it's also um sort of uh something that puts you in mind of julie Tamor's uh titus in that it doesn't see you can't tell what period it takes place because it's a fairy tale so it's all like castles and mm-hmm. horse-drawn carriages and stuff but she also like has a telephone that she talks on and uh she flies away on a helicopter at the end like it's <laughs> uh, it's very bizarre but it all sort Sounds of delightful. works I, and i keep wanting to not do what you talked about like i don't want to make this Jacques to maybe we should do Jacques do Jacques me sometime because no. i'm fascinated by his films i always wanted to see model shop which i haven't seen mm. it's supposed to be really good um uh but, uh, um, w- but once again, he is um, – I- and I don't want to make it sound like when I talk about her being um, used in an un- unintellectual way that she's like trapped or whatever because she shines and is clearly having a lot of fun mm. in these roles and doing a fantastic job and acting isn't completely intellectual, mm. uh, I guess,
0: right? I just, no, that's that's a it's a mixture, I think, of intellect and, emo- and emotion. Just
1: sort of, but also just sort of like uh, existing and being. Oh, very much e- so. You know, yeah. More, you know, yeah. Neither in, neither than like nor nor emotion. Just like mm-hmm. being that you talk about the comfort. Yeah. You know, and she's clearly so comfortable and having fun in Jacques Demi's films that uh, this one. There's not a lot to. I don't, I'm not going to go too far into it because um, it's been a number of years since I've seen it, uh, and it is. I guess. I guess it's a minor. Film uh, for Jacques Demy uh, and probably for her too, but it is uh, it is recommended, recommended viewing. Okay.
0: So what's the next film uh, on your list? I skip here? a little. I think you're next. I've got a, I've got seventy two. Yeah. And yeah. I've got uh, Unflick. Uh, it uh, it's a film that is known as a cop or Dirty Money. Um, According to Netflix, which is where I watched it, it's known as Dirty Money. According to the credits, it's known as Un Flick, or A Cop. Uh, <laughs> screw all of us, I guess. And it's a uh, Jean-Pierre Melville film. And by the way, as long as we're talking about profiles that we may do someday, uh, Melville's amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I have such a such an admiration for, for him. Just his, his eye for detail towards minutiae in the midst of a high stress situation is astounding. Um, she does not play a big role. It is as one would expect. It is a heist film with an all male cast, except for one woman and a cross dresser. And so, and I had forgotten cause I watched it in two halves. I had forgotten that the kind of effeminate uh, young gay man that we saw at the beginning of the film was this, uh, woman that, uh, we see later in the film but, uh, so once, once I remembered, Oh yeah, that's a guy. Wow. Catherine Deneuve is the only, only woman in this film. And, and she doesn't play a big role. She's not part of the heist. She is, uh, the girlfriend of the guy planning the heist. And incidentally, she's also sleeping with the cop who is investigating the heist by crazy coincidence because <laughs> the two happen to be friends and they just don't know, uh-huh. uh, what's going on. But, uh, but it's amazing because Melville's a great director, but he is not somebody that I would say is an emotional director. His films are cold and clinical, and that's to his credit. He's making films about cold and clinical people doing cold and clinical things. And so you then you and in the midst of this you have Catherine Deneuve, who this was the first one that I that I had watched. And so I didn't I hadn't I didn't have any of this other stuff. And so I just saw her, and this is a good example of what I'm talking about. The camera just lingers on her face as she sits and listens without, like, eavesdrops on on people's phone calls and that sort of thing. And it's just amazing watching her her eyes, because she doesn't say much. It's mostly we see her processing information. And she's sort of, you and I have talked about this before, she's sort of our entry point into the film. Mm -hmm. And she is she knows that someone's going to get hurt. That this is, I'll do my, I'll do my part. And she winds up playing a very big role, not in the heist, but in helping to cover up the heist. Um, but it's just like, I'm sure this is going to go well for a while, but it's just a matter of time. It might not be this heist. It might be another one sooner or later. Something's going to go bad. And one of these men that I care about is going to get hurt if not killed. And, There's a sadness to that, but there's also just this resignation. And you don't, having watched all, you know, several of her performances, you don't get that a lot from her, is that resignation. You really get a sense of, especially in the latter part of her career, um, you see a strength and this desire to kind of keep going. And with that, and with this film, you, you see her not giving up, but just knowing like, there's really nothing I can do to change my circumstances, and mm-hmm. or to change the nature of the men that I'm dealing with, and uh, it's a it's kind of a heartbreaking performance, having not been given a lot of screen time or a lot of lines. It's all just on, in her face as she processes the information that we're hearing, and, and we sort wh- of take our cues from her emotionally. Where
1: would you put this on on our on our arc that we've made up for this episode?
0: Um, it's. I definitely think that it is it's it's a change because she's like it goes back to from a practical standpoint she's not really in charge of her fate but now she's at a point where she is deeply aware of that fact. Like before we were talking about maybe her characters they either aren't aware or they just don't care that much. Uh-huh. Now she is aware and she cares about it but she doesn't know what she can do about it. So we're seeing a maturity of the types of roles that she's playing. Not to imply, again, that the characters she has been playing are immature mm-hmm. or that there's nothing there, but it's a certain type of, of character.
1: Well, we're going to um, assume the transition fully happened sometime in the 1980s because, as I mentioned, I didn't get to Last Metro. We bu- Neither of us have any 1980s uh, Catherine Deneuve films. I no. didn't get to Last Metro. I also didn't get to... Uh, Scene of the Crime, which I want to say was her first film with Andre Tashin, a director that I um, knew solely from the film Wild Reads, which if we ever did Mm. a uh, best films of the 90s list, might make my list, um, and have discovered a little bit more... um, through doing this, watching two of his films, mm. uh, one of which you also watched. But the first one I want to talk about is a 1993 film mm-hmm. that might also be up there in my list of best films of the 90s. It's called My Favorite Season. Uh, and um, it is so fantastic. Uh, Catherine Deneuve plays in this film, and at this point she's fully, uh, you know, um, playing these uh, more engaged with the world mm-hmm. women, you know, um, they, uh, a, a word I used to talk about repulsion was agency. These mm-hmm. are the women that she plays at this point and pretty much from this point on in her career have a great deal of agency. Yep. Um, uh, and in this film, she plays a, um, a woman who is a lawyer. She runs a law firm with her husband. Um, she has, uh, a brother who's a successful, um, if sort of troubled and irresponsible doctor played by the wonderful Daniel Atouy, who I sure, I'm sure when we did our Patrice Leconte, you must've seen yes. okay. uh, at least something that he was in. Yes. He was in Widow of St. Pierre. He was mm-hmm. in Intimate Strangers. Um, uh, wonderful actor. Uh, they play brother and sister, but they haven't talked for years because, um, Catherine Deneuve's husband doesn't like the brother. Okay. The mother comes to visit for Christmas. The first half of the film, pretty much, is told in real time, uh, more or less. Um, it has to do with uh, her, the mother coming over for Christmas, and she's been ill. She's staying now. She had the house they grew up in in the country. Now she's staying with Catherine Deneuve and Daniel and Daniel Atui, who, who hasn't talked to anyone in the family for three years because he and Catherine Deneuve's husband had some sort of falling out. We don't know exactly what comes over and the first half of the film pretty much takes place that Christmas night um, it doesn't end well again between Daniel Osui and the and the husband um, and then when we pick up uh, a number of months later because we know because it's summer again um, she seems to have made a different choice she's n- not talking to her brother again but she's also not living with her husband that she works with every day mm-hmm um, and the second half of the film sort of, uh, is about, uh, her and her brother, like their, uh, re- I guess, relationship getting back together as mm-hmm. siblings, but also us understanding why, even though the husband is kind of an asshole, understanding why he doesn't like the brother around because they do have kind of a weird relationship, this brother and sister. Hmm. Um, I know this has been mostly plot summary, but it is a a film definitely worth seeing, and it's about a lot more than all the things I've just said. Um, And it is... uh a fantastic performance from Catherine Deneuve. Uh, I might have used the word fantastic more than any other word in, in this episode. Um,
0: that's all right. That's neither here nor there, which apparently I said in a five minute span last episode, uh, four, four times in a five minute span. <laughs> Did so. someone point that out to you? Uh, yes. A, uh, quote unquote, good friend. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, um,
1: so, I think, that, but this does represent uh, another, or at least gives us the chance to talk about another aspect of acting, and mm-hmm. um, that she's definitely grown more into. Again, this could have happened sometime during this uh, 1980s that you and I both decided this, to ignore. This black hole
0: in which she didn't do anything, I have to assume.
1: <laughs> um, she's, okay, not only is she, like I said, a more engaged, uh, playing a more engaged uh, character, but she is... In, in a way that we didn't fully see in other films uh, acting with other people, if, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. like um, it, We're not just seeing her—this uh, isn't just a step forward of seeing her like internalize the emotions and intellectualize mm-hmm. them and seeing that play on her face. But she is—in terms of just the craft of acting, she's working with other actors in a way that maybe we haven't fully— Seen before.
0: It's interesting that you mention that because looking at the the remaining films on my list, I realize that many of them could be called ensemble films, but not in the same way as Young Girls of Rochefort, which is really there's only one or two scenes with like four or more main characters uh, in one room at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a lot of the movies that that I've seen, you'll see like big groups and characters who have a history with each other, and it's When I was younger, I don't think I totally understood how important chemistry Mm -hmm. was in any sense. Uh, Like I had, when I would watch a a romance, table salt without chemistry. What are you, Walter White? (laughs) So um, the, uh, but like, you know, I'd see a romantic film and they'd be like, "Oh, those two don't have any chemistry." I'm like, "What are you talking about? The kid, the characters are." kissing and stuff. Isn't that enough? (laughs) And then you see, then you see something like it happened one night or Mm -hmm. out of sight or the thin man or something like that. And then you see, Oh, got it. That's chemistry. Mm -hmm. And, and it's something that I think can't necessarily, I think you can, you can act it pretty well when you're younger, but I think the older you get and the more at ease you are with yourself and the more sure you are of yourself as an actor, I think you just sort of, are able to just have chemistry and just be with those other actors. And that sense of history just, I'm sorry, this is all this all sounds very lofty, but like that sense of history just sort of blossoms when mm-hmm. you have two actors who have, who know what they're doing and they're at the height of their, you know, the peak of their talent interacting with each other, whether it be alone or in a room in which everybody is, related to each other in a certain way. Um, And it's, and it's exciting that you're absolutely right. That is something that I see in all of them, all of the, the later movies of Mm -hmm. hers is her ability to just not merely seem at ease with herself in front of the camera, but be at ease with other people. Even if her character is ill at ease, Mm -hmm. just, just, we, we really believe the reality and, this is what I. This is what I'm talking about. Like, this is why I find acting to be so imperative. Is because it will always, if it's good, it will help to sell the reality of the film. Mm-hmm. And even in a film like, say,
1: um, Mulholland Drive, where oh yeah, it, reality isn't reality. Yeah, uh, but we buy it because.
0: And uh, even if the characters' reactions aren't totally, I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, even I, I if was, the characters, I was, I was done. even if the characters' reactions aren't totally like ours. If the actor sells it, we're if the act, if the actor sells it, we'll buy it, <laughs> and if we buy them, we'll buy almost everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's that was a general statement, not about any particular movie. But it saves me time when I have to talk about these movies individually. We'll just take that as as a given.
1: Uh, moving on then to uh, Dancer in the Dark, one uh, we both said, yeah, well, neither one of us has seen since it came out, um, and
0: I frankly like I I. Maybe enjoyed isn't the word. I liked it at the time, mm-hmm. and I probably would like it now. Uh, I don't have much memory of her. I, I, I she's remember a coworker
1: s- at the factory. Yeah, right? she's
0: she's kind of a pillar of strength. Right, right. F- that, that's too big a word, but she is a, an encourager. She's a supporter of right. the main character. Okay, it's coming back to me. And I remember it just being a strong performance in a movie of weak... Frail, uh, frail characters mm-hmm. at best and monsters at worst mm-hmm. and so you have this character who and almost any scene that takes place with her I remember and again this is all just vague vague feelings that I recall I remember just being like okay well she's around so right. we're going to be okay for a little while.
1: Does it seem to, to get into a uh, I guess meta way of looking at it like, there's a scene in the rundown with The Rock <laughs> yeah, where he's, right at the beginning he's walking into the club and he passes Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, an un- uncredited cameo.
0: And Schwarzenegger says, have fun. Yeah, something like, is that yeah. what he says? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, like a passing of the torch. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying Bjork is the new Catherine She's DeNuv. the new Catherine.
0: It's, you heard it on Battleship <laughs> Pretension. Bjork is the new Catherine Deneuve. Tweet it. Put it on Facebook. David Backs <laughs> said it. Uh, but I, I wonder if
1: maybe Lars von Trier felt that way. And hmm. cast Catherine Deneuve as sort of the, uh, like you said, the pillar of strength. Like the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hang in there, yeah. uh, Bjork. You could have a career like, like Catherine Deneuve.
0: Now that's a motivational poster I want. Hang in there, Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> and It's her hanging from a tree. Uh, <laughs> but it's, and that's the thing is I wish I could go into more detail because nothing is more interesting than the idea of, of Catherine Deneuve in a Lars von Trier film. Except maybe Bjork in a large Montreal <laughs> film, but it's. It, but I haven't seen it in a long time, and I wish I could go into more detail, but I can't. So I can only speak in a broad sense.
1: All okay, right. now, I'm sure that both of us saw. Um, what is it? The Musketeer, the Peter Hyams film.
0: <sighs> no. <laughs> uh, no, but but that's not going to keep me from seeing three Musketeers this weekend. As I, I'll see you at the movies.
1: Um, no, that's okay. I got I got things to do. Uh, musicals. We talked about Young Girls of Rochefort. We talked mm-hmm. about uh, Dancing in the Dark. My next one is another musical Okay. Uh, and a Francois Ozone film. It's called Eight Women. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like Donkey Skin, it's probably a minor film for both Catherine Deneuve and Francois Ozone, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it because it's a lot of fun to watch. Eight Women is... Uh, uh as i call a murder mystery it's been a while uh, a musical <laughs>
0: murder mystery yeah. yeah it sounds delightful
1: uh and it has um it has all the french actresses that americans american well I, still american art house audiences uh know and love you've got your Catherine Deneuve. you've got your ludovine Sanier. i think you've got a uh, virginie ladoyen uh who american audiences know from the beach Mm. but she's also been in um i think she was in those who love me could take the train which was a mm. patrice Chereau film uh, anyway that's not that's not important uh and it's yeah it's it's a musical and it's kind of uh francooiszon is a, a magical and fantastic director uh he did swimming pool i think he did is. yes uh he also did one called under the sand which is uh heartbreaking and 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 wonderful um. and the the fun thing about eight women is that it's kind of in a young girls rush for type of way um, it, it seems almost like now I want to say amateurish but maybe like out of time like it's sort of old fashioned in the way that it's framed mm-hmm. you know and uh, and staged like it's sort of it, in a lot of ways it reads like, even though it's not, it reads like a st- stage musical that someone just said let's make a m- movie mm-hmm. out of and the camera is sort of placed there and you see people dancing or whatever. Um, but uh, you you know somehow just inherently that's intentional and that's supposed to bring you back to like 1950s like, uh, I don't know, Doris Day or like these kind of uh, mm-hmm. sunny, and I, I reference Doris Day as the American thing but the French films of the 1950s also had a lot of this same type of thing, which is part of what the French New A people were uh, reacting against. Um, And so it seems like a reference to that era of uh, overly sugary Mm -hmm. uh, storytelling and filmmaking. Um, But in a way that's not... It's not like a mean and like... It's not like a takedown of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's not a celebration of it either. It's... It just is that and it's fun to watch kind of like um i'll I'll compare it maybe to uh todd haynes far from heaven Mm. that is very much in the style of the douglas sirk melodramas right
0: but dealing with things that they couldn't have at the time yeah
1: yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so uh again eight women minor film worth seeing though sounds delightful it is it is delightful okay uh next on the list is a talking picture
0: all right you, I, I was so angry. Like I it was, I, I really wanted to see it, um, as you know, because you talked so much about it and said specifically that it's my kind of thing. Yeah, and because I know when I say the name, I always
1: say a talking picture because that's the that's where the that's the root of that uh, mm-hmm. where it comes from. You know, the idea of a movie being called a talking picture, mm-hmm. pictures that talk. But really, I think the way it should be pronounced is a talking picture
0: because. The movie I, like is just say, talking. I like to say I like say a talking picture, <laughs> more like the talking picture. Um, That's what I say.
1: The movie is just talking, essentially. It's I mean, it's beautiful. It takes place uh, all across the Mediterranean. Um, there, it's it's a uh, uh, a woman and her daughter um, board a cruise ship, and they're going down to North Africa to meet with uh, her husband and, or the, and the girl's father. And they stop in these different ports, and they get off, and they. Um, talk to people about ancient history that took place in Greece and all this stuff, all these places, you know, and in each port they meet someone, they talk about just history, well, in architecture and art. Uh, and then um, at each port, um, a different uh, famous person gets on. And these aren't playing themselves, mm-hmm. uh, but um, and and they're also not people who are necessarily famous to all of us. Mm-hmm. But they're playing famous characters and not playing themselves. Um, and so there are there are these three women. There are women in each each part each part, and um, Catherine Deneuve plays one of them, mm-hmm. uh, who are famous and they're getting on the cruise ship. Um, and um, John Malkovich plays the cruise ship's captain and he like sort of uh at the end like on their final sort of stretch toward their destination like decides to gather together these famous women and this woman and her daughter whom he had whom he has met and taken a liking to because of their intellect to have dinner with him in sort of the captain's like Mm. raised area above the dining room and and so the last sort of big chunk of the film is concerned with this uh conversation that's Catherine Deneuve, two other women of her stature our main character the daughter and john malkovich talking in english and french and portuguese Hmm. (laughs) you know uh, and and it just goes around and around uh for the entire film and then um i won't spoil how the film ends although i think i have on
0: the podcast in the past you you haven't i think I i did no, you said like it ends in a, a way you don't expect, and then I said, "Can I guess after we're done recording?" Okay. And I and I guessed it correct.
1: Okay. Yes. Um,
0: but you didn't say.
1: I it. I didn't. So I won't spoil uh, the ending of the film uh, here. But um, but do you see why I am saying it's something you would like? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because it's just people talking for yeah. like an hour and forty minutes or so.
0: Not it's it's a solid ninety minutes in and out.
1: Yeah, uh, but it also is um, uh, well, one of my favorite writers novelists is neil stevenson who writes science fiction Mm -hmm. and and fantasy and and but also some historical fiction and stuff like that but one thing that he loves to do is while telling a story he loves to teach you -hmm. will uh learn a lot about um the tower of babel if you read snow crash Hmm. because that was clearly a thing he was into and so he incorporated into the story and there are long stretches where he's in a very interesting and readable way just teaching you know and uh, that's kind of what uh, Manuel de, uh, de Oliveira does, this sort of and that's what a talking picture is, in that it's never boring. Mm. But you come away from it realizing, like, oh, I know some stuff about about
0: Alexander the Great or whatever, you know. Unlike uh, in Michael Crichton's The Lost World, in which he devotes a chapter, an entire chapter, that's about 12 to 15 pages long, to uh, characters talking about the theory of evolution and basically deciding they're all in favor of it and huh. by the way they're on the island now being chased by dinosaurs <laughs> and then they take a moment to, to have this conversation because clearly Michael uh, Crichton was upset by you know creationists or, or whatever and uh, felt that this was if it's a if if dr. Malcolm's saying it then it's got to be true and uh-huh. and that's not the issue it's 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 that he took time out to do it and as i was looking i'm like this seems didn't a character just die? Like, why are they? And then I skipped, so I skipped that chapter because I wanted, I just wanted to see if my theory was correct. Sure enough, okay, back to the action. So literally, he has this chapter that serves no purpose at all. No, nothing with the story or characters shows up <laughs> in that chapter. It's only so that he can kind of do this thing on his own, which if he had written it well, which I don't consider Michael Crichton to have been a great writer, um, if he had written it well, it might have been interesting. I've I read some Neil Stevens, and I'm sure he makes it fascinating. Yeah, But, uh, but yeah, with Michael Crichton, it, he just seems kind of petulant. <laughs>
1: uh, but, yeah, that's not what you'll find in a talking picture. So everyone, like I said, it was on my list of the
0: ten best films of the of the 2000s, the aughts, I guess. Maybe um, we should cut out what I just said, because when I think about it, I'm getting mad at him for doing what I just did. But we made it interesting. Did we? Let's say we did. Okay. Um
1: And moving on to another André Tuchin film that Mm -hmm. you watched. I did. And I want to ask you how you chose this one over other André Tuchin films. And did you like it? It's called Changing Times from 2004.
0: Yes. Uh, I picked it because it was readily available on short notice. It was on Watch Instant. Oh, okay. And, and, And frankly, I wanted something with Gerard Depardieu. Because and I wound up seeing that and a, a later film from uh, last year. I wanted something with the two of them because I've actually not seen a lot of uh, Gerard Depardieu and I liked what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And specifically with the two of them because I remember I think I had read a uh, oh I had read a review of uh, I think it's Potiche from last year mm-hmm. in it which
1: came to these shores this year. Oh, did it? Okay, yeah, early early this year. Okay,
0: and so. I read a review of that, and Depardieu's in that as well. So I was reading a review in which someone... It might have been Ebert talking about the history of Deneuve and Depardieu and mm-hmm. how, how, much, how pleasurable it is to watch them as as actors. What Depardieu films have you seen? I've seen uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Which, which that's the late seen. 80s, right? I saw, I'm sorry, Man in the Iron Mask. Uh, I, didn't I see saw, that. I'm sorry again, My Father the Hero. I didn't see that. And then I've seen these two.
1: Okay, you should see um uh, what is it uh, Jean de Florette I think okay Jean de florette
0: okay it's I finished. feel like there might be one more, but now i don't uh but I don't remember now. um wait, was he in one of the Christopher Columbus films
1: uh probably I didn't
0: see either one of those. There's one called Columbus, right or there's one called fourteen ninety two and I think there's one called Columbus right. I don't remember which one is which because they came with a, within a year of each other. And I think one of them has him in it. Don't quote me on that. But if that's true, I saw it in middle school uh, to teach me about Columbus. That is that I haven't thought about either of those movies. Why would you?
1: Let me. Okay, I'm going to name a movie from 1993 okay. that I'm going to guess you have not thought about since
0: 1993.
1: Okay. Geronimo.
0: <laughs> 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 that's perfect. <laughs> and you know who's in that? Robert Duvall. Is he? Yeah. Gene perfect. Hagman, Jason Patrick, West Studi. Why do I know all that? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I went to the Gene Autry Museum.
1: Yeah, I went to the perfect. Gene Autry <laughs> Museum this past weekend, and they have all this awesome stuff about, like, Westerns. Mm-hmm. You know? The Gene Autry Museum is... If you're... If I'd love like to go. If you're ever visiting Los Angeles, you're not from here, make that a stop, because it's awesome. It's about the West, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had... Uh, a whole part devoted to the movies, and when you get into the later ones, it's like, oh, there's, there's Unforgiven, there's Tombstone, there's Wild Bill, uh, you know, oh. and, and then there's like this big poster for Geronimo, and I was like, oh yeah.
0: It's like, so it would appear the Gene Autry <laughs> Museum has not been updated in eighteen years, right?
1: Because <laughs> uh, no, I, I think actually, they might have
0: been banking on this being a bigger hit than <laughs> it was.
1: <laughs> but there is some like Brokeback Mountain stuff in there, oh, okay. uh, as
0: well. Um, Back to business, back to something that is not a Western. Uh, changing times. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. There's there's some kind of strange stuff in there, having not seen anything by... Uh, I want to make sure... How do you pronounce it again? I'm making it up. I've been saying Andre Tashin. Tashin, okay. But I, um, I could be completely wrong. That sounds right. It kind of it has a French sound to it. And so, I don't know. Why did I say, say that mean? But... <laughs> um, no i liked it a lot um there are some interesting directorial flourishes but i enjoyed them and you wouldn't expect them from a movie about a family have you seen the film yeah yeah okay um and it's and it is basically there's not much story here um yeah there's a, a family living in wh- where is it in is it tunisia
1: um I, yeah i think you're right
0: i think it's tunisia yeah um and uh, a french family living living there and uh And Gerard Depardieu plays a guy who was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, romantically involved with uh, Catherine Deneuve's character. And so he's a businessman who, uh, a construction supervisor who comes in Mm to uh, oversee the The construction of construction, if you will. Yes. (laughs) And um, I think you're oversimplifying, David. (laughs) But uh, and so but you find out that he actually requested the job so that he could seek her out and try and kind of get things going again mm-hmm. and there's uh, that's not the only story it's it's more of an ensemble film but that is the main push yeah. of the story and their relationship specifically the effect that it's having on her because she's not unhappy but she's not happy um, I think she has she's sort of resigned herself to her situation but her situation isn't bad yeah. and she knows that yeah. and she knows that I could be doing a lot worse than having a husband that I like, mm-hmm. if not love, and that likes me. Like, we get along, and having, you know, a kid that I love. And
1: and, and she's also, um, we all know my feelings on nostalgia. Uh, she's not unhappy in a way where uh, this, where Gerard Depardieu representing her past is going to come back and say, like, oh, I wish I could go back to those days. No. Because even though she is a little bit unhappy, she doesn't, She's also changed enough that she doesn't think that Jared Depardieu is what's going to make her happy.
0: Right, and she's, she's practical. And that's the thing. Just because I say that she's resigned, I don't want to make it seem like that's a big theme. She's also a very strong, powerful character, and there's no question that not only is she the center, of the, the emotional center of the film, she's the center of the family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while as my, I like all of her performances, but I like these performances as well, because there's a lot going on behind her eyes you sense a certain longing but the longing is deeper than anything that Gerard Depardieu could have provided it's more than a longing for the past it's a longing of for like what might have been what could be what has been as strange as that sounds mm-hmm. it, and it's just i could ju- and this is another another movie where the camera just lingers on her face and lets us see her think and and it we see her feel the weight of what she is of what's going on and it's just a it's a smart performance it's a mature performance and it is incredibly engaging and sure enough her the her chemistry with all the characters but Gerard Depardieu like you really get a sense of history there because the actors themselves had history but Mm -hmm. um you really get that sense and you're just like oh my gosh you you like seeing the two of them together not necessarily – because you start to feel like, yeah, maybe he is – maybe he does need to grow up a little bit. Maybe this isn't uh, what will fix everything. Yeah. But you do enjoy seeing the two of them together. And yeah. you can see, like, there's a little bit of playfulness between the two of them.
1: Yeah. It's a great – It's uh, I know we're talking about Deneuve here, but it's a really, really good Gerard Depardieu performance because um, he's a rather – Large, almost a mountainous man, Mm -hmm. you know, he's a very imposing presence and he generally tends to play characters who are imposing presences Mm -hmm. in one way or another. And it's, it's surprising, especially early in the film, how kind of frankly pathetic his character is. And especially their, their reintroduction after all these years, the way that they meet is, yeah, uh, it's pretty rough. Is sort of comically sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but it's a good movie and, and a really great performance. Um, so that's changing times. What's next on uh, your? I've list?
1: I've got one more, and you've got one more, and they're both. I've got uh, two more,
0: but one of them I can't talk that much about because I only saw half of it.
1: Oh, okay. You've got two more. I've only got one more, um, and I'm not sure which one. Hold on. Let me let me let me consult the list. Okay. As far as which one of these comes first,
0: um, I've got mine. A two- does 2007?
1: Okay. All right, uh, and it's the last one I'll be able to talk about. Uh, uh, and I won't sp- spend that much time on it. Uh, it's Persepolis and it's a voice mm-hmm. role. Um, but what's, uh, what's important about it, the thing you were talking about earlier, um, the idea of casting based on what the audience already knows or already the mm-hmm. way they already feel, right. you know? And so her playing the, uh, the main characters, I want to say grandmother or is it aunt? It's been, uh, I saw it in the theater. So it's been mm-hmm. a few years. Um, And for a guy who loves movies, I actually have a pretty bad memory for them, uh, which is, uh, something that I'm often ashamed of. I don't know. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't love them. I just have...
0: That speaks to something. I, I, I didn't say this before the episode, uh, but there was a topic along those lines that I wanted to do sometime in the near future. All right.
1: we'll, we'll, we'll put that, uh, put a pin in that then. Um... Uh, but uh, casting Catherine Deneuve as the voice of this character makes her, n- makes you understand that the grandmother isn't just like the grandmother is, is not just, a uh, um, a sort of, uh, guide to the main character. We also get that she has a history that she mm-hmm. was, um, in the Iran before, uh, the before the uh, 1979 you know and, and uh before the revolution when things were a little bit more uh secular um she was more of a she this, this character was more of a sort of a glamorous person we understand that she was young once i mm-hmm. think is what's important and, and what we get from it being Catherine Deneuve, mm-hmm. you know uh there even though she's older now there's a glamour and a almost sexiness to her and that um, that helps us mm-hmm. understand why her advice to our main character, who's a younger, yeah. uh, a much younger woman, um, carries some weight because mm-hmm. we we get the weight of her dec- decades of experience because we know this is Catherine
0: Deneuve. It's sort of like, uh, to use an example that, because I, I didn't see Persepolis and I don't know how many of our listeners did, uh, probably several now that I think about it, <laughs> but... Um, to me, it's it's like casting James Earl Jones in The Lion King. Uh-huh. It's not merely commanding voice, which it is. It's not merely that. Uh-huh. It's that we kind of have a history with this guy, in se- mostly with Darth Vader, I'd mm-hmm. say, but who is a father, a cinematic father that maybe wasn't so good. Uh-huh. But either way, he is. We know him as an imposing authority figure who has tremendous power Uh and that you don't mess with. And when we, and a a guy that, man, there's no question that he can rule this kingdom. All of that, that's in his voice, certainly, but it's also in what we know that voice to be. We know his voice. And when we hear that he's Mufasa, we're just like, damn right. He's Mufasa. (laughs) You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. It's what we, it's what we bring to it. And with that, with a character like that, we fill in the history ourselves. It's, it kind of is, it's not a shortcut, but it's shorthand. And, uh, and there's a big difference between the two. Um, okay. All right. It's all, it's all on you now. Oh, good. So I saw the first half of A Christmas Tale, uh, which came out and which was uh, released in 2008, though. I'm not sure if, was that released here in 2008? I don't don't remember it being that old. Yeah, Um, it might've been more recent. But, uh, but I only saw half of it because I had gotten my running times mixed up. And it's two and a half hours. I thought it was like one, one and a half, one forty-five, uh-huh. and I did not allow uh, a lot enough time. So I, sw- <laughs> so halfway through, I switched over to Young Girls of Rochefort. and um, but I'm definitely going to finish it because it's a wonderful movie. And man, you want to talk about a movie that's for me? This is it. It's <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, but I want, but I, I, and I'll talk about it because you get a sense of her performance. I don't know where the where the character is headed. But so far, it's about a family coming together around Christmas time, and they all have history. Like, one of them has been sort of forbidden from seeing the rest of the family for five years. Hmm. Um, So echoes of my my favorite season, then. Catherine DeNue's... Yeah, Catherine DeNue's character um, has cancer, and that's sort of why everybody is being brought together, um, because it might be the last one. But also, she needs a specific kind of, like, bone marrow transplant, and so everybody's been given a test to see if they are a match and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot going on there and it's very dysfunctional. A film that it reminds me of and a film that you're not a big fan of, but thematically it's very similar, which is the Royal Tenenbaums. Hmm. And I think you would like this movie a lot. Is it funny? A Christmas tale? It's yeah, it's, there's some, it's gallows humor for the most part, but it's very funny. And so, uh, and it's you know dysfunctional humor and all that, but as dysfunctional as the family is, and this is I keep coming back to this, especially with changing times. Um, she and her husband, and I didn't write down the name of that actor. She and her husband, as cra- as crazy as like the children and the grandchildren and the spouses of children, as crazy as they are and as dysfunctional as the relationships are, these two are the core of the family and they are sort of the rock and they are dependable and she especially is unflappable like in the face of all these, all this petty squabbling. She's, she's unshakable at a time when, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty sure that she's going to die. The doctor has said like, there's a 75% chance you're going to die Mm. and she has the chance to make it about her and it'd be okay if she did. But she hasn't so far in the film I don't again I don't want to speak to the, to the whole film I've only seen maybe an hour 15 of it and uh, and so I really like that but it also this goes to and it's an ensemble she has good chemistry with everybody but really that relationship she has with her husband you really get a sense that they have been married for you know 30 40 years and they've been and we know some of the stuff they've been through it uh, been through and you really feel that it, you feel a really close knit relationship there and uh, and i'm am thrilled to watch it i'm i'm i'll probably finish it tomorrow or the next day
1: and that's also a, a criterion title it right? is yes
0: yeah. uh, so the last film is again i don't know if this is how you pronounce it uh, potiche yeah that's um, right. it's uh, uh, ozone mm-hmm. ozone
1: i say uh, ozone but ozone I, i'll say I, I, i'll say I'm ozone
0: i'll say ozone because ozone is like the lair. <laughs> right. And so... So, this is... And this is a fun movie, actually. It's it's not... Honestly, it's not great. I don't love it. But it's a lot of fun. And she's having fun. And that... And you get a real... It's really palpable. Uh, she is... You know, it's similar to go back to a film like uh, Heartbeat. Because here she is. She's the wife of uh, a guy who owns an umbrella factory. Uh-huh. Perhaps Umbrellas of Cherbourg, But uh, the... uh And she's basically like a trophy, a trophy wife that she's just totally domestic. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't, um, really do anything. She's got, you know, her, she's got her cross stitch and all that kind of thing. And her husband just totally mistreats her, cheats on her all the time. And then he winds up having like a I think a heart problem and so she actually has to step in and run the factory and she runs it way better and she like is better at dealing with the unions and that sort of thing and uh and so then he he comes back and he wants his company back and she doesn't want to give it back and so there's a fight between the two of them Uh, but you see this character who she's not a doormat she's still very strong but you see her slowly but surely become very empowered and realizing that she is capable of much more than anybody including herself thought she was able to do before her strength showed in being able to shoulder any burden now she realizes that there's a lot of potential there for what she's able to do and you see that she's just she demands she's demanding more and more of herself and you know, you'd think that this would be, you know, kind of a, a tough drama, and there's some of that, but mostly it's fun and it's a comedy, and it's somebody who I would compare it to a certain extent to, like, let's say Kevin Spacey in American Beauty, somebody who had a, had a certain role in their own life, and then realize, wait a minute, no, I'm the lead in my life, thank <laughs> you, and I'm going to play that, mm-hmm. and just that sense of fun and excitement, and not knowing what's going to happen next and not knowing what you're going to do next. It's all there in her performance. And there is a, it's, it's really neat because there's a certain degree of sadness at first because she just feels kind of, but not like this really like crying in the, in the oatmeal sadness. Like it's, it's just this kind of this thing that kind of flits through her mind, and then she just continues on. You know, she's, she's a woman of character, a woman of strength, and she's going to do this. But then it actually comes out that she herself has had affairs, many affairs, <laughs> earlier in life. Mm-hmm. And when you find out that, you realize, oh, she's always been strong in a certain degree and always been defiant in a, in a certain way. And the, very and, French, sounds like it couldn't be more French. (laughs) This is about as French as you get. And so, um, for some reason being mean, I know Uh, you almost expect Napoleon to walk through. And so, uh, but you, but you also see the relish with which she says is in which she talks about her previous affairs. mm -hmm. And she never would have, if she hadn't been given this company, if she hadn't been sort of empowered. And it's a, it's a film that's, it's, it's good. It's not great. All the performances are good and uh, Depardieu's in this one as well. He's the mayor of the city mm. that she had had a fling with just a one-time thing. She had a fling with 30- an entire city? Sorry. She had the, a fling the, with the, c- the mayor. The city's mayor. <laughs> okay. Whom she had a fling with. Uh, just a one-time thing years ago and uh, and so the two of them kind of rekindle that maybe not sexually but just personally. But it's interesting because she winds up kind of defying him at times too like it's a very it's a very uh, kind of a feminist uh, female empowerment film and uh good performances all around and it is definitely worth it to see her. It's the kind it's the kind of performance that like if it if the film had a different kind of push it could have gotten a, like a, an oscar nomination because it's fun and it's strong and she really like hits it out of the park all right so yeah i brought it back to baseball for you and <laughs> now i
1: get to go home and watch uh Hopefully, watch uh, the cards put another hurtin' on the Rangers like they did last night. Take that, Rangers! Um, I wouldn't call it a hurting; it was a three to two. They they won three to two. I bet it hurts to lose. Probably does. Uh, let's wrap this up before we get though. Real quick to the um, my standard thing. Uh, Beantown, Bostoners. Um, November eleventh, twelfth, 12th, 12th, and thirteenth at the Brattle Theater in Cambridge. Um, go see uh Stephen Tobolowski live. Tobolowski Files live. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, uh, there's a couple reasons that I'm mentioning on this show because it's, of course, friend friend of the show, Stephen to- Tobolowski and produced by a friend of the show, Dave Chen. Mm-hmm. So we want to help out our friends. But also because I want this to be a success so that he does it here in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Uh, I want to see this show. And uh, uh, well, it will also be coming to Seattle sometime in January. We'll, I'll name that date when we're closer to it
0: anybody who listened to uh bp live number three heard his monologue Mm -hmm. and it's electrifying it was even more so live people were on the edge of their seat in a story that wasn't necessarily suspenseful but he's such a great storyteller Mm -hmm. and he really brings his his stage experience to it and he just had that audience and us in the palm of his hand as he was telling that story, and that was only fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a live version of it. Yeah. And if you if you have the opportunity, I believe it's about twenty bucks, twenty five, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it's
1: twenty in advance.
0: Okay. That's right, yes, twenty yeah. in advance. And well worth it. It is worth it. I think it'll be a I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think you'll get everything. If you're a fan of his show, just imagine that live being in the room with him it's it was really it was really yeah. great for us and i think you guys will like it too
1: yeah you've got you've got three chances like i said november eleventh, twelfth, and 13th mm-hmm. uh the brattle theater uh go to tobolaski uh to buy tickets or for more details in seattle yeah go mm-hmm. to that website to find out when he's coming to seattle i don't have that in front of me
0: and for listeners also for listeners in boston seattle and everywhere a remem- uh, reminder that uh podcastawards.com. Vote for more than one lesson. Vote for Battles of Pretension if you want. But definitely vote for more than one lesson. I'm tired of not winning this thing. Okay? And uh, even though, as we've established, it actually means more to be nominated than it does to win. I'll take what I can get. I want one of those little trophies, even though it's worse this year than it was last year. But uh, I'll take what I can get. It's something for the Christmas letter. Please help me. Okay? You can vote every day. It ends the 27th. Let's do this thing. You can vote every day per email address. Per email address. So let's...
1: Yes, let's... I very much want to use the Battleship Retention listeners to help more than one lesson win a podcast award. That'd be All fun. Right. It would be kind of funny, yes. Uh, I, th- I said fun, but yeah, it would be funny. It's funny, funny to me, yeah. Uh... Uh, otherwise, you can find us at com or on iTunes. You can email us, David at com or Tyler at com. Follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash ThePretension. And follow Tyler on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MoreLessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at MoreThanOneLesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show, previously on... At com or in iTunes. This week, a special episode because Sean's out of town. It's an off-format episode. We talk about our five favorite season premieres that are not series premieres. Mm. So season premieres of season two or later. It's a fun episode that we did. Uh, season two
0: of Lost. and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that premieres. Might great. have been on
1: the list. Um, another, How do I find out if
0: it's on the list, David? You Go
1: to previouslyonshow.com. Another one. In recounting the season premiere, and this is a show you've seen, I won't spoil it, I almost cried like three times just talking about what happens in the season premiere of a certain show. So uh, it's a fun episode, and go check it out.
0: All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. How, how are we doing on time? One forty-four. All right. Right? Yeah, that's fine. Less than two. Exactly. Jen reminded me the other day that uh, our first episode was 43 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't uh, done that
1: since uh, we almost killed Matt Besser.
0: Yeah, that's true. Okay, so, uh, but yeah, thanks for hanging in there. Go and watch these movies. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.